in your ears to talk about beers it's episode 92 of the cool room uh coming to you from melbourne we're in the zoom cool room uh and it is lockdown six here in melbourne uh we're really excited to be joined tonight by the guys from killer sprocket seeing their smiling faces in zoom returns me to happy days only a couple of months ago uh, where we'd gathered a couple of us uh, at Catfish after a bit of a gabs session. So we might even touch on that along the way. But more importantly than anything else, we're here to talk about their beers. Make sure you grab a tasting pack from our Shopify shop uh, and the three beers that we're going to be focusing on tonight, which will maximise your podcast experience, are the Amber then the Bandit, and then the Stout. The uh, tasting pack contains six beers. Those are the three we're going to be focusing on tonight. We encourage you, if you're uh, in the Zoom room, to drink responsibly and just have, uh, you know, pour yourself a little tasting glass as we go along. Or if you're listening to the podcast version, uh, take the opportunity just to pause as we move from one beer to another. Uh, we'll make it clear when we move from one beer to another. And that way you can sip and enjoy uh, sensibly savor the flavors as you go along talking about savoring flavors we've got a couple of other fun events coming up which if you're following us on social media you will uh you'll be able to see and be a part of our sunday blind tastings are continuing with lockdown six rolling on in melbourne and uh lockdown in sydney and canberra and other places continuing uh we've got three sundays of blind tastings coming up where we deliver beers to your house all foiled up and anonymous, and then we drink them together and see who can pick what. Uh, next Thursday night, which will be the 19th of August, 2021, our friends from Golden Hills return. I think they were one of the absolute surprise packets and favourite breweries that we had on last year. Really looking forward to having them back uh, in the Zoom room with us. In between all of that, we're just announcing, and again, please check the social medias, uh, that we're backing up from the Carwin Magnificent 7 session with the Carwin Fantastic 5 beers that they're releasing. They're available on their website. And the plan is that next Wednesday night, which will be the whatever that is, the 18th, I think, uh, Ben and Ben from Carwin and the guys from Forward Hops, who are the importers who bring these beers in, uh, we'll all be sitting down and talking through those beers. So uh, they're going to be big beers for a Wednesday night. So you have been forewarned, but uh, some really fantastic and exciting events coming up. We've got a few more after that lined up, but that's probably enough of a preview for now. I'm going to handball to my good friend, Travis Bristos, he of the ceiling windows, to introduce the guys from Killer Sprocket, and we can go on from there. Thank you, David. Welcome to everyone. Um, I'm either going to edit this part out or keep it in because I think it'll be funny. David, you don't know your um, fast car movies versus your Marvel comics. It's Furious Five, not I normally go Fantastic with Five. <laughs> I normally go with Fantabulous. 
and leave that in. <laughs> um, the the Carwin thing is going to be going to be a cool thing. But uh, tonight we are sitting here with Killer Sprocket, um, Sean Dargat. Welcome I'm, I'm to the call Travis, I'm flustered, and I think you need to explain why. For all those listeners after the fact and the people that come into the Zoom room regularly, the reason David's flustered is probably for the same reason that I'm not here. And for the first time ever at the beginning of a podcast, uh, Mr. Warren Wu is sitting in the call room with us. Uh, hello, Warren. Hello, hello. I thought we were just going to play this like usual and I was going to be just no, incognito in the background until we got there. No, because I, I think it's more fun for me to do 320 edits on a podcast after the fact. So um, it, it's kind of weird though, David, right? It's very strange. I literally forgot to introduce him because I'm just it's just not in my shtick. I feel bad. And no, I don't feel bad. I thought you were going with it. I thought we were all going with it. This this sucks. <laughs> I think anyway. we've got we've got this covered. So guys from Killer Sprocket, Sean, Doug, welcome to the cool room. How are we, gents? Good. Thanks for having Good. us. Pleasure, pleasure. We um your beer lineup's amazing, and we're gonna get into talking about the beers uh, pretty soon. Hopefully everyone has opened their first beer and is enjoying it. Before we start talking about the actual beer, though, um, let's get started. Paint us a little picture. We have a few international listeners. We have many listeners interstate. Uh, they come from all over the place. Give us an insight into uh, your brewery. Where Whereabouts are you situated? And uh, what does the tap room look like? Okay, so we are situated in Bayswater North. And the tap room looks like an old beaten up rusty shed, <laughs> which it is. <laughs> so the um, the tap room, we're really a uh, production brewery. So we've been going for quite some time, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and started off sort of more of production brewing. So the brewery really was set up as a production brewery. So it's as much equipment as we can possibly cram into the uh to the rusty old shed. And then on Fridays and Saturdays, we sort of open up sort of a cellar door um, where people can come and the, the sort of thought was, you know, you come by, grab a beer, hang out in the brewery and um, and have, you know, have a good time. Uh, with all the COVID lockdowns and things, it means that you needed seated service. So we had to buy tables and chairs and things. And it's a struggle to fit all the tables and stuff in there for seated service. <laughs> Have I explained it all right, Doug, do you reckon? <laughs> He's the marketing guy, so he probably explains it better. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. It's a, it's a shitty tin shed and uh, we <laughs> cram people in it. That's, that's about right. I'm, I'm wondering if this is the first brewery we've had on that lives in a shitty tin shed, as you called it. I, I feel like there was another I one. I just can't think of who it was. It. <laughs> I think the first one's to self-describe like that. Yes. <laughs> I oh, think no. um, like Moondog, Moondog were a shitty tin shed. Well, they were a shitty like yeah, concrete yeah. shed. Yes, our, our shed is far more shittier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of our listeners out there that do do home brewing would probably be able to relate to the the tin shed scenario. And, and for our international guests, like tell tell people in a place like Bayswater, how good's the view? Um. We're between two footy ovals uh, in a in sort. You can't really. Uh, no, there's not a bad view actually. You got the view of the Dandenongs. It's quite nice. Um, and yeah, like 
our surroundings is uh, is uh, there's like a garden supply place. There is like a tropical palm tree and jet ski man, like sales guy at the front. So that kind of gives you a little bit of an oasis when you're coming. No, out. It's starting. It's starting to sound very Bayswatery. Oh mate, it is. Uh, it's the wild west out there. Really. <laughs> um, before we start talking about the beer, and I really want to get onto the beer because I keep taking a drink and it's absolutely amazing. Um, how did how did you come to to start the brewery? Tell us tell us a bit of the story. So, oh look, probably most people that that sort of of, of our sort of um, generation of of brewers that started, you know, we started home brewing and then thought, you know what, I could probably do something with this. So um, yeah, got into craft beer, absolutely loved it. Was home brewing because a mate of mine was home brewing, and I thought I could do better than him. So I uh, was doing that, and then um, I just thought, you know, one day it would be the dream to start a brewery. That'd be the best thing to do. One day is just have a have my own brewing company, have my own brewery. So I was going to a lot of um, sort of beer festivals and visiting a lot of breweries and tap rooms and stuff. And this is. 10, 15 years ago. So there wasn't a huge amount. You could probably get it done in, in you know, in a few months, whereas now you'd take years to get through all the breweries. But, um, yeah, so just uh, doing that and just have a chat to the guys that had started it and asked how they did it. And pretty much every single one of them just said, no, no, just one day we just decided we'd start a brewery and we just did it. And then, you know, so I thought that's just amazing. And I was working uh at a um at an insurance company as in the operations department in systems and IT and all that kind of stuff. And then the company I worked for got sold and my job uh became a lot less there. It, it my job sort of didn't need me to be in it anymore. Uh so I sort of left and went to university, studied business and entrepreneurship. And then the final year course was to sort of, you could use the university resources to essentially start a business, is go through, research absolutely everything and put together your financials and your business plan and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, and that that was the that was the capstone course. So I, I did that. I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll research a brewery. I've always wanted to start a brewery, so I'll just go through that. So I did, got a high distinction on my assignment, graduated, um, you know, university and got my degree and everything. And then I thought, look, before I go and join Deloitte, I'll, uh, I might just see if I can actually start a, start a brewery. So I actually took my assignment, my, uh, you know, my, my capstone work uh, to the bank, uh, changed the name, obviously took my student number off of it and called a killer sprocket handed it in and then um, a few months later they called me and said, yeah, we want to give you money to start your brewery. I was like, all right, guess I'm starting a brewery. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> 10 years ago. I'm guessing Deloitte haven't come calling since, have they? Or I'm still waiting. I've got a, I've got a few tentacles out there. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start talking about the first beer tonight, which is uh, the Amber Ale. Um, Tell us why why did you choose this beer to begin the night with? Um this one. So this is uh well, this is the first beer that we that we brewed commercially. And essentially when um it, it's a good sort of it, it's an interesting thing, especially nowadays with the uh most people when they're launching breweries sort of start with something a little bit safer. Um I loved Amber. I was like probably my 
introduction into craft beer was the James Squire Amber Ale, which I'm sure probably a lot of people would be the same. Um, and then from there, um, the Rogue beers from the US, they had a really good amber. Um, the Brewdogs um, Amber as well, their uh, 5 AM Saint and stuff. Absolutely just loved Amber Ales. So when I was looking to start a, a brewery, I'd sort of go around to the bottle shops and be talking to people. And I'd say, oh, look, you know, the guy starting a brewery, what's your first, you know, what, what are you going to launch with? I was going to launch with an Amber Ale or a Stout. And they'd go, we'll buy it. And I'm like, because everyone launched at the time, actually, most people would launch with lagers, which you don't see much now, but that was the go-to sort of beer was everyone was was putting out lagers. This is back where there was, I don't know if some of you, it probably dates me, but some people had like Effen Lager, um, Dos Blocos, obviously, and a few other lagers, so, uh, or pale ales. And it used to really shit me when I'd be reading um, sort of about new breweries that were starting and they'd always have the same thing. A few, you know, bunch of mates met in a garage and decided to start a brewery and they were sick of drinking the mainstream crap that everyone else did. So they decided to do their own thing and make their own beer and challenge things and make something with taste. Uh, and then what they launched with, a lager and a pale ale. And it used to annoy me because I'm like, yeah. you can't find a lager or a pale ale? Like, have you tried Dan Murphy's? <laughs> Very yeah. valid point. That's it. So I'm like, well, I want to start with an amber because no one really is making ambers. Um, so that's what I launched with. And um, and I couldn't decide between an English style or an American style, so I made them both. So it's an English uh, malt bill and an American hop bill. So that's why you, at the last... So the first sort of sip, you get sort of those caramels and chocolates and stuff. Then on that back palate, you get that nice American sort of grassy hoppiness that kind of lifts it up so it doesn't... You know, it's not too stodgy. Like for the style, like it's quite a dark mm. amber. Like it's quite dark, but it doesn't actually taste as dark. Like if you close your eyes and drink it, it actually doesn't taste as dark as it looks. Yep. Yeah, it's absolutely delicious. And I'm pretty sure everyone in the in the Zoom room at the moment's uh, thinking the same the same thing. Um, we're gonna oh, see. This is the problem with the Zoom room. I'm gonna pause to take another drink. You can edit that out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strategic move uh, in the editing process. Um, you guys, we love it. We love a good gypsy brewing chat. Um, you guys did a bit of gypsy brewing yourself. Uh, can you give us a bit of an insight of about that that time of your life, that time in Killer Sprocket world? Um, it was extremely, extremely hard. Um, gypsy brewing at the time we were we were quite fortunate in the beginning uh we did the first batch we did was uh contract brewed actually out of southern bay in geelong oh, and yeah. then there was a uh absolute lunatic that used to work there by the name of hendo steve hendo <laughs> henderson who uh i don't think uh anyone uh has not met <laughs> we'll uh we'll link to him in the show notes he's uh so he was working there and he actually uh he left and then to start his own brewery uh and then uh, that was brew cult and then i met up with him in a coffee shop and he goes i'll put his tank in this new brewery at uh cavalier that uh, and there you know there's me some other people you should you should talk to him you should put a tank in so met the guys at cavalier and uh and luckily, yeah, it allowed me to buy my own fermentation tank and put it in, which 
if we hadn't done that, there's no way we would have kept going. That was that was an absolute godsend for us um, for a lot of reasons. Firstly, the people that I met and the contacts that I made there, like we shared a brewery at the time, the people that owned tanks, obviously Cavalier had their tanks um, in the brewery. Then you had Brewcom, Kaiju, Exit and us. So we all started around the same time and we all had, um, you know, had a huge amount of fun, um, you know, coming up with recipes and trying to outdo each other and learning off each other and things like that. Um, and then you had a lot of gypsy, like other gypsy brewers that would come around and, and brew there. So Dayton started out of there. Um, uh, who else? There was uh, Wolf of the Willows, yep. Bad Shepherd. Two birds were brewing there for a little while, Three Ravens um, and a bunch of others. Um, and it was just great to just hang out and just talk to them. So that really was sort of, Sort of gypsy, but not really. We kind of called it hobo brewing. <laughs> it's like couch surf brewing. Like you didn't really have a home, but you know, you had somewhere to lay it, yeah, you know, lay down your beers. Um, and then after that, we took the lease where we are now. Everyone sort of left there um at the, around about the same time. We all sort of sold our tanks to Cavalier um and then went our own ways. Um, and then um, yeah, I was gypsy brewing at a bunch of others. So being able to meet a lot of people from there meant that I could gypsy brew with them. So, you know, Bad Shepherd, Wolf of the Willows, Kaiju, um, Social Bandit, all those guys allowed me to brew with them. Um, so you, you kind of just couch surfed your way. I did. I couch surfed my way to the brewery. And then, um, but it's, it's incredibly hard if you're trying to build a brewery and gypsy brewing is to know where to divert your funds because yep. it's both things are quite capital intensive. So, um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that was my experience with Gypsy Brewing. I would not, like, it's, it's a really hard slog to do, but it's one of those things, it's a necessary thing. Do, do you look back on it with fondness or do you just think about the stress? Oh, yeah, I look, about, I look back with fondness. There's some amazing things about Gypsy Brewing, like the brewing at a bunch of other people's breweries meant that when I was building mine, I had more of an idea of what worked and what didn't. And there's some things that's in my brewery that I've not seen in anyone else's that is amazing, that, that really works incredibly well. Um, Do tell. Uh, so even just the simplest things, there's three things that are incredibly simple in my brewery that make things so much easier. One of them is a mixing valve to mix the hot and the cold. A lot of people nice. mixing with sort of get yeah, ball valves <laughs> yep. trying to get it. We've okay, I can tap. see all my favourite nerds in the room nodding. <laughs> so we've got a tap that allows you to actually can put the temperature exactly in. Um, the other thing is we've got two flow meters. We've got one that measures hot water coming in and we've got one that measures the work going out. And rather than having just the readout on the flow meter, the, the actual readouts are replicated on the actual um, control panel. So from pretty much anywhere in the brewery, you can see how much water is going into the, uh, the brewery and how much word is coming out of it. So those two things are, um, you know, are incredibly life-saving. Um, and then also I think the, uh, a really good auto grain out as well would be the third thing that really, <laughs> uh, I found a lot of, uh, stress of digging out mash tons. So, <laughs> This you can yeah. just open the door, turn on the the rakes, and it pretty much kicks out all the grain. Uh, no, that's cool. I like that. That's um, 
almost smart brewing at its best. It's um, did you where where were your favorite places to gypsy brew apart from Cavalier? Because obviously Cavalier was the place that you met a whole bunch of other people and and that sort of thing. Um, do you have any other favorites? Oh, uh, look, pretty much everywhere for for their own reasons. Um, I'm very partial to uh, to the places that had kitchens that were operational while I was brewing there. So I could eat while I was brewing. That was fun. <laughs> uh, ones that have uh, added bars uh, are also great. <laughs> so which ones are we talking about there? Just for anyone who might be, you know. So, uh, we want uh, names. Like... So Wolf of the Willows and uh, when they were sharing with Bad Shepherd, um, obviously barbecue uh, yep. is, is fantastic to, uh, yeah, to, to sort of be brewing. And then, you know, the the chef comes with a bowl of chips and uh, and jalapeno poppers and stuff um that that was back years ago they had a they had this chef that was making the most amazing amazing food he did this hot wing they um derek the owner and everything of, of bad shepherd wanted to do a hot wing challenge so he challenged his chef to make the hottest hot wings this guy made these hot wings that were so hot uh i think it took out three out of the five staff that tried them they couldn't come <laughs> to work the next few days it was so diabolical that Derek actually ended up like calling it off and saying, I can't give this to customers because I'll get sued. <laughs> so I got to eat those wings. They were that was a that was a great day. <laughs> as as uh, as our leader in the call room, David, used to uh, operate the Royal Mail Hotel on Spencer, there was a particular night where he put chili into cocktails that Warren also helped uh, master up, I guess you'd call it. Um Hot wings, chili cocktails, yep, I reckon yeah. uh, they go well together. Yes, very much so. So that was good. Um, Social Bandit up in Mansfield, um, that that was that was great. For um, the brew house itself was absolutely bonkers. I've never seen something so just unbelievable and over engineered and just ridiculous. So it was a brewery that was a German made brewery that was in a Japanese brewery and then came to Australia. So everything was in Japanese or German. And then if you pressed a button, there's like the whole thing was like on this platform thing. And when you pressed a button, the stairs would open up and you could go into the actual brew house and it was all pneumatically <laughs> controlled. And this giant control panel that would show you where all the beer is going and everything like that. It was just mental. It was one of the coolest breweries I'd ever seen. Um, Did it come with sound effects? Like it really sounds no, like it should be sort of Star Trek or, you know. It should have, it should have. But that bloody brewery, it told me that things that are that complicated and that pretty do not, uh, you need a lot of people that can manage that that brewery. There he is, yeah. Mm. Snowball has got that. That that, uh, that one, it is a such a cool brew house, but it would go wrong all the time. <laughs> Uh, one of our regulars in the Zoom room, Corey, just flashed his phone up on the screen uh, to show us a photo of it, which works really well for those people that are <laughs> listening back to the podcast version. Um, I, feel, I feel like we've probably already touched on on our last question for this beer, but um, do you have any advice out there? We, we have a lot of listeners and a lot of people that come into the Zoom room that are home brewers. And we all sort of dream of that mentality of like opening our own brewery. If 
if someone out there decided they wanted to do it and they were going to gypsy brew, yeah. what would be the one piece of advice you can throw at them? Come to my brewery and have a chat to me, and I'll get you and I'll get you set up. <laughs> Brilliant! That's that, that's a great that is perfectly responded to. I love that. That's um. So for any cool rumors out there that want to start a brewery, you need to get in contact with Sean and go Gypsy Brew over at uh, Killer Sprocket. We are we are going to start thinking about moving on to our next beer. Uh, which is the peated pale ale. Um, I feel like normally in the cool room on a Thursday night, I'm filling for a bit longer than normal, waiting for Mr. Warren Wu to to join us. But uh, like we said at the beginning of the episode, he's already here. We could, we you could just keep on filling. That's fine. Have you had a haircut, Warren? No. You I can't have haircuts in lockdown, Has David. Anyone had a haircut? Like where well, were you I getting don't... a haircut, David? Oh, well, uh, who am I to say what members of everyone's households can achieve? <laughs> no. I'm going to no edit this out, but prior to coming on tonight, I had a social gathering with my work colleagues and my directors of my company cut each other's hair and uh, one of them's got a massive cut down his forehead where, where he slipped. And Why are you editing that out? Actually, I might just leave it in there. Yeah, uh, big totally shout out to Bill there. and Gary, who are probably going to listen to this afterwards. Um, we're going to move on to the peated pale ale. Um, Warren, I'm going to let you uh, you take the lead on this one, mate. Thanks. Woo-hoo. Yeah, awesome. Um, so why why are we why are we holding back our judgment of this beer until we take five sips? Okay, so. This is a pretty unique beer. So the actual, um, the, the whole five sip rule is not actually even my rule. It's, that was, uh, I was doing research on smoke beers and that was the, um, the advice um, overwhelmingly for any smoked beer yep. is five sips. Um, with the band at the first sip, especially if you've never had it before, that first sip, all you're going to taste is smoke. And it's quite overwhelming because something that looks like that you wouldn't think tastes the way it tastes. Um, so that first sip, your brain just goes, I don't know what is going on. All And all you taste is smoke. You don't actually taste any of the beer. Then that second, third sip, that smoke will dissipate. And then you'll start getting all the other sort of complex flavours that are in there. A little bit of the hops, a little bit of the other malts, the other specialty malts that are in there. By the fifth sip, you probably won't taste the smoke at all. You'll just taste this real dry bitterness. Then a lot of people have um, will taste, essentially they'll taste their favourite um, bitter flavour. So people who are really into coffee will taste coffee and swear that there is coffee in it, which there isn't. People that are really into chocolate will say there's dark chocolate flavours in there and ask if I've used cocoa powder or some sort of chocolate malt, which I haven't. Um, there was someone, I wish I could remember, someone else that had a, one that I'd never, ever heard before. I keep forgetting what he said, but I wish I wrote it down. He Brown. said, like, he was like a gardener and he could taste something like diesel fumes and grass clippings or something that I'm like, mm. how would you even know what that tastes like? <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's why we say re- re- uh, reserve judgment for five sips because that first sip is so, so smoky. Um, and then as you drink it, you, you find that smoke less and less. Gets to the point we brew this beer quite often. Um, and it's, um, I hardly taste the smoke anymore. And I've got like Nat from Kaiju 
um, and like other people that have brewed with us for years will taste Bandit and go, I don't taste smoke at all. Is there, have you changed the recipe? And I'm like, no, mate, it's no, it's not changed the same thing. It's just, you're used to it. So you know what that tastes like, but when you don't expect it, it's quite a strong flavor. Um, so peated malts, is it mm-hmm. the same peated malts that you would find in a, in a Isla whiskey, if you, that you find in the, in the, um, the distilling and, and yeah. whiskey process? So originally, yes. Originally, we actually used to import the malt from Scotland. Hmm. That was distiller's malt. But we found it was way too inconsistent um, depending on what time of year we bought it. So those, I think the, those malts that come from Scotland or the ones we were buying, I believe were actually fired in a peat-fired kiln. So instead of the kiln being, you know, using gas or electricity or whatever, they actually would burn peat moss. Um, so you'd get this variability. Yep. Then what we did is we switched over probably about seven years ago. We switched to a New Zealand malter um, called Gladfield, which a lot, a lot of people probably know. And they've built a they built a kiln, a specialized kiln that has a smoke box attached. And what they can do is they they can burn wood chips or peat or whatever and push it through the bottom of their of their um of the kiln. Mm. So what you get is a uniform flavor year round. So we switch to that. So it is um, but the, the premise is the same. It's just the kiln is not actually peat fired it's still a standard gas fired kiln um mm-hmm. but then they they smoke it using a smoke box cool. to get the flavor yeah and apart from that product is there any difference between brewing any other like a regular yeah any other regular beer like do, is it in in that malt grist do you do you add it at a different time or do you do you, is there a different maceration period so for for this, um, the recommended ratio is something like you shouldn't go over ten percent. I think we do about twenty percent because I really want to taste it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the difference is that you've got to really balance out the hop profile. Um, as I said before, when you're drinking it, you do sort of taste that dry bitterness um, that you get from it. So you don't have a smoke taste, but so when I was developing the recipe, I was actually looking at how people taste the different things mm. and smoke triggers your bitter taste bud. So what it would mean is that if you go heavy handed in the hops and you make it more bitter, you'll actually make that smoke really unbearable. So it actually, even though you're not using that much smoke malt, the same amount of smoke malt, if you add the hop, if you put the hops up, you'll end up um, getting getting a lot more of an unpleasant smoke flavour. Mm. So that would be the thing. You've got to, if you're brewing with smoke, I would recommend definitely watching the amount of hops that you use and scaling it a little bit back to do that. And so leading on from that, uh, in terms of the other ingredients, the other malts and the other hops, what are you trying to do in terms of, uh, what what do they bring into the party? I suppose that that, that smoke flavor is so apparent. What, what are you trying to do with the other with the other characters of the beer? So what I want is a more than just a one dimensional beer. Like you can just mm. make a beer that's smoky. 
what I want is the, the, the sort of the reason behind making the beer initially was um, I love I love scotch. Um, I really enjoy peated whiskies and, and Isla whiskies. I used to drink, uh, I used to like to drink a scotch and watch Mad Men. Right. <laughs> you can't session a scotch. You and me both. So I'd, so I'd always forget what happened in Mad Men, uh, which is good because every episode starts with previously on Mad Men. So I'm like, oh, that's good. And then uh, eventually I was like, I need to have some sort of sessionable whiskey. So that's what I made was a sessionable whiskey. And if you drink those Islay whiskeys, one, as they sort of warm up and as they sort of change, you get a lot of levels of flavour. It's not just this smoky, harsh um, yeah. flavour. And that's what I wanted to replicate was different levels. Like, obviously, the, you know, whiskeys are barrel-aged and there's so much effort to go into it. This beer is not barrel-aged. It's just brewed like a beer. So uh, adding the different malts uh, allowed me to kind of have different layers that you'll taste as, you, as that smoke dissipates. Do you have a go-to whiskey just out of interest? Um, oh, I, I'm, I'm a collector, uh, not yeah. an alcoholic. I collect uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> samples. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, I think the go, my go-to whiskey, it all depends. Um, I, I, I love Lafroy, love it. Um, and probably, so go-to would be that or uh, Glenlivet. Uh, Mugs in our oh, Zoom yeah. chat mentioned Lafroy. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, I'm, I'm just going to chime in here. Do you find that people come at this beer differently if they're a whiskey drinker than if they're not? Yes, 100%. So this is about the only beer that we make that constantly sells by the case. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, And I think the reason for that is the case price and the price of a good smoked whiskey yep. are around about the same. So the value proposition, when they go in, they go, I can buy 24 of these or I can buy one bottle of whiskey, I'll just grab that. And then that gives that sessionable, it really has become kind of a sessionable whiskey. So a lot of the whiskey drinkers will grab it. Um, it it's so funny. We do, we have like a Dan, we register with Dan's online and any time a bandit order comes through, I know it's going to be a case. <laughs> it won't be, it won't be a six pack. If you were to match this beer with a whiskey for a decent boiler maker, what are you matching it with? Uh, my throat, Doug. What do you reckon, Doug? Yeah, I uh, uh, have a bit of a guilty pleasure of having a rye whiskey with it, um, yeah. just to really yep. screw with everything. But yep. it works really well. Yeah, rye. Yeah, I could imagine the spiciness from the rye would be really cool with this. I think it, mm. you're kind of yeah, creating like a wall of flavor. Yeah. Um, have you tried? All right, so. Since you're using this, this is actually a question that's that's generated from the from uh, the chat. So, like from the people in the in the meet in this Zoom room. So, uh, and I find it's a really interesting thought. Okay, so you guys are brewing this pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Have you and and dealing with with like smoked malt? Um, have you tried using different like different smoked malts are there different malts on the market which are smoked with different things and have you have you looked into it and have you played with that idea it's always been something i've thought about doing i have not done it yet but that's definitely something that um that i've thought about doing hmm. it's on the list of things to to get to one day <laughs> 
But uh, I know Gladfield does, a, Gladfield does a Manuka smoked malt. Um, and that'd be something that we'd be looking at, um, yeah, looking at, at doing. Another thing I was thinking about, we've been talking to uh, one of our suppliers about maybe getting some sort of um, sort of ex-smoked whiskey barrels. Oh, yeah. Doing something like a barrel-aged version of this. Um, uh, but, yeah, barrels are getting harder and harder to come by. Yeah, and it seems everyone wants barrels. Like yes. every, every guest we've had for, for, I think, since last year has done something with a barrel, yeah. it feels like. Yeah. Um, get, moving on, maybe we'll, we'll discuss discuss you guys a little bit more so the transition to from from gypsy brewing into uh into your own place was there how difficult was it how many challenges i mean i'm sure there was tons but one of the ones that really really stared out like the ones that were a really really shit day i suppose when you're when you're trying to make that transition uh I think it's probably a lot of people would say the same thing is dealing with council. Um, it took um, it took a, a crazy amount of time. Uh, councils don't understand breweries, um, and it just the the amount of things that they and hoops that they make you go through. Our council's good; they're reasonably lazy, so they will try to um, they will try to tell you the workaround so that they don't have to do the work. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so we we had a... I was fortunate that the person that was taking us through the uh, the application process was a, um, a home brewer and was really keen to nice. get it through. Yeah. So he would say, oh, you know, it's a shame that you don't register as a shop because then you'd get away with not having all that car parking because originally we needed 20 car parks, which we don't have. And I said, what? I said, why, um, why is that? They go, oh, well, shops don't need that many car parks. I'm like, but if it's a shop though, can people drink at the brewery? Because yeah, I've drunk in shops before. I'm like, okay. So what you're saying is if I was at a shop, this problem would go away. He goes, yeah, if only you said you were a shop. So I said, I guess I'm a shop. He goes, oh, that's great. Because you don't need so many car parks as a shop. Like, ah, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so little things like that. But then there's so many little council rules, like we need to park at the side of our brewery, not out the front for some reason. Um, we can only receive deliveries between certain hours. Like there's just so many little things that they that they make you they make you jump through. Um, we still find crazy amounts of of, of things with them. Um, so yeah, that would probably be the hardest thing was, was that was getting the actual, um, all the council approvals. There's no real kind of, this is how you get a brewery because every, you know, everyone's got a different council. You might have, you know, everyone's got different, um, water companies. You've got Yarra Valley water, Southeast water, um, all these people, they've all got different things that they make you do. Um, and then, you know, you've got the EPA, you've got VCGLR, all those people you need to talk to, and that can be quite complicated. Um, I think I might skip to the traditional cool room question if there's no objections from the floor. No? Great. Awesome. Uh, so 
the weirdest this we ask this all the time um we've had a whole range of answers but what is the strangest weirdest most fucked up silly funny dirty thing you've seen in a cool room or a matter of fact any hospitality slash brewing environment but cool rooms are the better ones yeah i haven't i haven't seen anything that weird in a cool room i, I did Early on in our career, we put a kegerator in a venue, which is kind of like a tiny little cool room, I guess, a kegerator. Mm. And um, <laughs> and someone we are in a, the tiny cool room. <laughs> someone got a uh, an ambient keg, put it straight into the kegerator, tapped it, and is wondering why it was pouring foam. So oh. they um, to try to fix it, they decided it must be because the beer lines were too long, so they cut the beer lines. So it went directly from an ambient keg, that much beer line, into the tap, and then uh, called me and said, your kegerator's not working. <laughs> so that was a kind of the weirdest thing, is to open up a kegerator that I installed with enough beer line that would actually pour beer and then see these tiny little <laughs> tiny little lines going into the other uh, tower. Oh. Again, Doug, you've probably you've been in hospital for quite some time. Yeah, some I've, I've seen shit. some things in my time. Um, the, probably the... I don't know if it's weird, but, you know, a couple of people laying down some kegs, throwing a mattress on top, and uh, let's just say they were being intimate. We, we we haven't had one of those stories for about 10 episodes, I reckon. Yeah. So it's a good know, return yeah. to form because that's, you know, that's a mainstay of the of the cool room sort of questions. Do you want to give them a shout-out? Uh, no. No. No, Do you want to give uh, the venue a shout-out? Do you want to give the venue a shout-out? <laughs> uh, the venue no longer exists. So, all the more reason to All the more reason to do it. And we're back in the cool room to discuss the third beer from Killer Sprocket that we're tasting tonight. Uh, we hope that you've been enjoying the discussion so far, and we hope that you're following us on the social medias so that you can be part of our events live when we record them. And um, if you're listening as the podcast, we hope that you're enjoying that and that you uh, will subscribe and like our podcast. It makes a big difference to how much we can get that word about what we're doing out and about. Um, we're about to move on to the stout, the American stout. Uh, we heard Doug's voice before, and Doug, I just thought for something a little bit different, we might get you to describe the American stout that we're tasting right now, and um, we'll see whether Sean agrees with how you describe it. So, you know, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're wandering into a venue and try to sell this as a beer that they should have in the fridge or on tap, you know, how do you go about that? What makes this beer special and unique in the world of stouts? Well, uh, generally, I quote my wife uh, when it comes to this beer. And her quote was, if you want a stout, this is a fucking stout. Um, basically, <laughs> it's roasty. It's got a nice dry, nice dry finish to it. And it's just something that seems to endear itself to people. Um, you, you have a sip of it, you want more. Um, and, yeah, basically, on, on sales, it keeps selling. So. And what can you tell us about sort of the backstory of it, you know, before we kick over to Sean and he'll give us his version, but you know, what, you know, where does this fit into the killer sprocket story? 
Uh, you would have to ask Sean for that one because that that's uh, it was all previous to me. So, um, oh well, you're about as... to be educated, Sean. What should yeah. what should Doug be saying when he's you know going out and spruiking? Yeah. Um, so the stout for me, like I think you know, as I sort of said at the start um, when we launched, we always we were going to launch with an amber or a stout, and we chose the amber. So it was always in the back of my head to do a stout, but I sort of have a kind of an ethos when it comes to the beers that I make or that I, I that I choose to release. And it's essentially if there's someone doing that beer really well, I'll buy their beer. I don't, and I'll tell other people to buy their beer. I don't need to, I don't, I don't really like to compete with someone that's doing a great job. I just want people to, 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 to drink theirs. So um, for me, for years, this like Red Hill Stout for me has been since Day dog just absolutely loved Red Hill Stout. It's you know it's amazing. Um, it's an imperial stout, so very you know very good with that. I think for the milk stout, you know Exit has been pushing amazing milk stouts for years. Um, then you've got like Boat Rocker, absolutely knocking out of the park with barrel aged stouts. So for me, it was that sort of thing of I needed to find something that no one else was no one was doing to the way that I really liked it. So I'm quite a fan of IPAs and black IPAs and things, and I love stouts. So I sort of mixed a little bit of black IPA and a, and a stout with the American stout, and there's not a huge amount. Well, there's a few. And the other thing is stouts often in Melbourne and Australia are very seasonal, and I like drinking stout in summer. I love it. I love string stout year-round, so... For me, I'm like, I want to drink a stout that is able to be done year-round. And barrel-aged imperial stouts, not great year-round, not something that you can drink a lot of. Um, so that's what I that's what I was doing for this. And during sort of lockdowns, um, also I wanted to do sort of revisit sort of a bit of a past when we got the actual brewery and we got it up and running. So I thought the sort of the first beer that we the first new beer that we made in our brewery was this was the American stout. I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. So that's that that's the sort of the story behind it was something that we wanted to sort of when I launched, I said I was going to launch with an amber or a stout. So I guess when we got our big boy pants on and had our own brewery, it was finally the time to put the stout out. And it was the first one in the new branding as well. Was it? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Now that's a that's a ripper question. So Either of you guys can chime in on this one. In terms of the branding and the look, you know, how do you work with the designers? We we love a design chat here in the cool room. And so how do you go about, you know, deciding that kind of stuff? How many people are involved? And especially for you, Doug, you know, when you're out on the road, how important is that branding? You know, even if what's in the can is fantastic, how important is the branding in how you can sell stuff? Yeah, look, as I was saying before, the podcast really kicked off. Um, we're really lucky. We've we've been working, or Sean and Andrew have been working with Natalia since the beginning, and she has a really good understanding of of them, and ultimately us as a brewery. So, um, you know, they they wanted to get away from what they were doing before and, and come up with something a bit more modern and uh, a bit more edgy, and it, it really has paid off for us. Um, when I walked into places with the new cans for the first time people were blown away and and that just makes it so much easier and the consistency of the colors and the whole look now it sort of makes it easier to sort of you know 
Yeah, look, I mean, we, we have venues that um, straight away say they want they want a full shelf of, of cans because they look good together. Um, they can tie a story together with them in, in their venues and, and make it look really good. Um, it's it's really, really smart branding, and um, I wish I was that talented, but unfortunately uh, we have to pay someone else to do that, but she does a great job. Now, the, the question I was going to sort of follow that up with, as this sort of beer, you know, I've just taken mine from the fridge and it was pretty chilly when it came out, but I can already sort of feel how it's changing. Um, Sean, how's that beer going to change you know, as it warms up as we have this discussion? You know, that's part of the fun of beers like stouts, I've always thought. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're going to get a little bit more of that roasty flavour and, and the malt flavour will kind of shine through a little bit more. Um I don't know, Doug. What do you what do you reckon? You're, you're yeah, I think as things. it gets warmer, I, I tend to think the dryness actually comes through more, um, and that that dryness on the end of the palate really just makes it moorish. Um, so the warmer it gets, actually, just becomes more moorish. More moorish is that a thing? That's a good sure. word. Moorish. I've had mine out of the fridge since we started. If I do an imperial version, Doug, I'll call it Killer Sprockets More Moorish. When we were sort of passing notes and just sort of chatting behind the scenes in the last couple of weeks, and again, thank you guys. I think we've been discussing this for a couple of months, so it's fantastic to actually have you on the show and be having the discussion. one of the points you guys wanted to make was how now you're giving back to the the gypsy brewing community. And um, I think that's really worth exploring and having a little bit of a chat about. So tell us, first of all, why you want to do that and what it looks like. And I've got a couple of questions to follow up. From yeah. That. So as, as I said, like we were incredibly fortunate that um, we were able to meet the people that we met early on and get into that sort of collab space um like i don't know i don't know if i couldn't pick a better group of brewers than you know kaiju exit and brew cult to really sort of work with um and i want to do the same sort of thing so what we do is we've um is i'll, I'll get often i get people come in and sort of they're wanting to get into the industry they want to um you know that they, they want to a lot of people want to be in the craft beer industry. Uh, no, it's, no quite, it's quite <laughs> difficult. Yeah, it's quite difficult to get into the industry at the moment. Um, there's a lot of... It, it used to be that sort of, you know, you could kind of turn up to your local brewery and say, I work for free. Um, and, you know, you can wash um, wash kegs, or do whatever you want. You just can't do that anymore. Labor laws, things like that. If someone gets injured... You're, you know, that, that you're going to put that brewery out of business by working for free. Um, if something was to happen to you, even if you just that work cover turned up at the wrong time and saw you, that's it. You're um, absolutely right, and I'm cognizant that we have a number of uh, lawyers in the room with us tonight. Yeah. So, um, so, um, so for me, I, I've said like, if you really, I said, what's you know, when someone comes in, I go, what's your end game? What are you actually looking to do? And if they're like, I'd love to start my own brewery, and I go, well, what are you waiting for? Like if you know if you can brew if you can homebrew really well, you can brew commercially. Um, okay, <laughs> like it's brewing commercially is so much easier than homebrew because you have clean in place, you have hot water on demand, you have 
cleaning chemicals. You have so much stuff that you can do. So what I do is I pretty much offer someone, I go, look, if you want to, if you want to be involved, start a brewing company, just go for that. You can gypsy brew with us. You can brew at other places. You will learn your craft because when you're brewing at someone else's brewery, you can get that education. But at the end of it, you also get beer that you can then sell. So you can be building up a name and all that. So that's my that's sort of that's sort of what I want to do is I I want to get in there with that. I don't want um, and it comes from sort of when I started off with Hendo at, at Southern Bay. He was yeah. like, the reason we got along quite well was that I came in and I was like, this is my recipe. This is what I want to do. I don't want to cut corners. I don't want to make the cheapest beer. I want to make my beer and I want to make it good. And then you know developed at that. So. Um, we've actually got uh, one of our um, the, one of the employees not here. Chris is um, our assistant brewer, and he essentially yeah wanted wanted a job and was uh, you know did did all he could during the pandemic to to work at any brewery he could to the point where he actually registered his own ABN and decided to go out as a contractor and said look you can just pay me contractor rates and I will work in the brewery because I just want to learn and then from that I got talking to him we ended up sort of saying you know I said look this is how I started and I put a beer I put a, a, um, a fermenter in my in in Cavalier I said to him if you want to do the same thing go for it so he ended up buying a fermenter and installing it in our brewery so he's got his own little brewing company called uh, 5-3 Brewing which is Supposed to have had its uh, its launch by now, but COVID keeps on smacking him down, unfortunately, and postponing it and postponing it. Um, but that's um, he's actually just decided that he'll have his party when he can. But his beers will be available at our brewery, so it'll be available at our tap room as of tomorrow, and then um, also at Hippo in um, Hippo Bar and Bottle Shop in uh, in Smith Street as well. So. Um, and then he'll, when COVID lifts, he'll be able to do his actual official launch. But that's how we're giving back. We were uh, we were thinking about putting that into the blind tasting packs that are going to be starting to be sipped on Sunday. But um, we couldn't manage it this time around, but perhaps sometime in the future, that's going to be one to look out for, I think, isn't it? Yeah, he's a good brewer. He's got some good beers. Um, we've, we've got a few other little sort of questions we're going to get to from the zoom room but you know just before we get to that you've you've spoken about the impact of COVID on on his plans Mm -hmm. how about for you guys you know I mean we're now 18 months in we're in lockdown six in Melbourne um has it you know have there been any sort of silver linings from your perspective or has it just sort of been a a real Um, sort of heavy hitting grind you know what's your experience of it it's a it's a tricky one because um we, when I started with, with Killer Sprocket, uh, it was almost like a new start for the brewery. Um, they, you know, effectively had the first year that they were open almost completely in lockdown. Um, and people hadn't really had a good brand awareness of them for a long time. Um, so I started and things started off really well. Um, and then we have had lockdowns and mini lockdowns and all kinds of things that have jumped in. Um, I guess the the good things are we're getting beers out further than we ever have um, and we're getting a lot of uh, good support from people. Um, but like all the other breweries, we're, we're in this situation where 
it's hard to forecast what we're doing. Um, it's hard to know if uh, venues are going to be open or when they're going to be open and, and what they're going to take. So um, we've, my wife came up with a, a little bit of a thing on Instagram, uh, hashtag empty the kegs, and venues are getting behind it. Um, I'm starting to feel like she might be the marketing genius in the couple. And that, she you know, is. Uh, so am I. She, she, she <laughs> is the marketing genius. She might have employed she, the wrong person, George. She, oh, she's no. a genius. She is, uh, she's uh, really switched on. So, um, yeah, it, it's one of these things where um, venues have jumped straight on it. And, you know, it's, it's looking like um, some people, you know, not just us, but you know, all the breweries can actually start getting through a few more kegs than they would in a lockdown because there's a bit of momentum going. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this one doesn't go too long. But, um, yeah, we're, we're looking good for the other side. Mm. This, year's been, this year's lockdowns have been a lot worse than last year um, because last year there was a lot of um, support behind um, local um, there was also, you know, there was JobKeeper. Everyone kind of felt like we're going to get through this. It'll be a little inconvenience. And I think people kind of treated it kind of like a mini holiday. You know what I mean? You've got to stay home. You've got to sit in your pyjamas. you got to drink beers. The government paid you. Like, it was pretty utopian. Like, it was quite nice. And then, <laughs> and then this year, it just seems like everyone's, like, you know, you don't have that support. Everyone's a lot more concerned. Um, usually in sort of times of crisis and recessions, Breweries do incredibly well, but not this time around, unfortunately. And it's um, yeah, this this year's been a lot harder. There's they're starting to do a little bit more. They're doing you know, the governments are doing a little bit more with support. Um, the ATO has just announced that they're no longer going to stop um, pubs and stuff filling growlers. Uh, it used to be you needed to have a producer's license, so a, a, a bar wasn't able to fill a growler. I didn't realize um, that. That's really yeah, but they've they've just lifted that. So now, if you know any bar, essentially is able to to you know to be a growler fill station, which then opens up for breweries to be starting to put beer out there to be able to sell kegs, people that are able to get interesting beers off tap, and then things like that. And if you think about it, like if you know if like a hundred people turn up, uh, no, sorry, twenty five people turn up and fill a two liter growler. That's a keg, you know, and then that keg turns over and then they're going to get more and more and more and more. So um, by doing that, it's I'm hoping that things will start to pick up a little bit and people realise Australia hasn't really taken to, to growlers um, as much as like the US. Um, and I'm kind of thinking that this might change that. So if that happens, I think we'll be in a better position. And go out and support your, your local breweries and pubs and bars because you're right on what you said sean that that change with the growler feel i've even seen just in the last couple of days that shift on social media where where pubs are starting to to post on social media that they're reopening for takeaways and that sort of thing and if we're going to get through these lockdowns it's um it's a good way to go about it uh yeah so get out there and support your your local stuff it's a great great thing and uh keep keep an eye on uh Lady Bermelade on Instagram. She's gonna she's gonna have a running list. Any of the venues, um, anywhere in anywhere in Australia that jump on the hashtag Empty the Kegs, she's gonna have a running list going. 
Do you know her oh, personally, or is that just a no. random shout out? You're up. Just just checking. Yeah, no, no, I don't know at all. Before we throw over to the Zoom room for the the questions, and again we say, please come and join us in the Zoom room on a Thursday night. It's a great experience, and um, well, I think it is. Hopefully, everyone in the room feels similarly. I've just sort of just got one last question that I sort of want to put to you. We've sort of talked about a few of the negatives and what the last eighteen months has been like, but Sean, Doug, you know where where the business is now. What exciting things are you looking forward to? You know, as as things move forward, what you know. What, what's going to be the next thing for Killer Sprocket and whether it's some new new beers or what you want to do with the venue come summer, we're looking forward to, you know, hopefully a new dawn. Yeah, we've, we've got a few uh, few plans up our sleeves and, and all pending, everything going well. But um, the first thing we're doing is we're actually narrowing our core range to free up a bit of space to do more limiteds. So well, Hang on, I can see some people looking nervous in the Zoom room. Are you allowed to say what is going, going to happen on that front? Yeah, so we're not we're not doing away with everything in, uh, forever, but uh, hey, juniper will become a seasonal, um, and we'll we'll brew that basically as we need to, and rye IPA we will probably do once a year, uh, so we'll get a bit more traction off of that, um, and that just gives us a bit more tank space so that we can just keep something coming. So it should be one or two limited release beers a month, uh, and. That gives us more room to play, have fun, and, yeah, everyone gets a bit more experience from us. Can I ask, and I probably the answer is reasonably obvious, but we see a lot of breweries doing things like that. Is that a market-driven decision, or is it because, you know, the team as brewers want to have the chance to play more? It could be a bit of both, I don't know, but we see a lot of that happening now as, as core ranges limit down to perhaps you know, two or three particular styles. Yeah, it's it's definitely market-driven. Um, unfortunately, you know... We've I'd like, got I'd like really to make good... every beer all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Fair we've, answer. We've got, a, we've got a really diverse core range. Um, we're really lucky in that. Um, but unfortunately, uh, bottle stores have things they like and don't like and um, have customers that like and don't like things. So we have to cater for that. Um and the thing we keep being told is we need more limited, so that's what we'll do. Uh, we're not going to bring out a beer a week. We're not. We're not that brewery. Um, we're certainly not going to bring out two a week either. But we'll we'll keep it simple, keep it easy, and um, make some nice nice beers uh, to keep everyone interested. I can understand the frustration, but as someone who's run, you know, pubs and bottle shops and things. There are certainly people who will just come in and buy one of the new thing, and, and even if they love it, they'll come back in the next week and say, I loved it. And you go, would you like to buy another? And they'll say, no, I'll have whatever that new thing is over there. And they'll point to a can that, you know, this time has a picture of a fish or an upside down buddy terrapin on it. And that's the, <laughs> you know, that's the thing they'll want to go for. Um, enough of my upside down terrapin jokes. I know we're now. 92 episodes in and every episode has an upside down uh, terrapin joke in it. Um, let's open up the Zoom room for some of the questions. Justine, yeah, if you're... Just before you do, yeah. uh, just, our next limited is actually coming out at the end of the month. Um, so we're, we're going to have... upside down a... terrapin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the name of my brewery. How I met you know? behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, we're, we're releasing a cold IPA. Um, we're really looking forward to it. Um, a bit of a challenge for us, but uh, brew day went well, and and 
uh, I haven't had a chance to get down to the brewery and, and have a taste, but how's it going, Sean? Uh, it's, we were, we dry hopped it yesterday and it's tasting, tasting really good. Um, Chris went, Meh. so which means it's amazing. Oh, that means it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, what was the but, challenge? Can you talk us through the challenging bit? Um, it's cold IPA is a new style. Um, the way that it's brewed is a little bit, um, yeah, it's a little bit different. It's sort of, and it's an ale brewed with a lager yeast, uh, but you're brewing the lager yeast quite warm. So it's above its recommended uh, thing. Also, it's a yeast I haven't used before, um, a lot of other stuff like that. So there was just a lot of variables to contend with. Um, anything that I think lagers are quite uh, tricky because you can't really hide flaws easily. It's quite a clean beer. The, the point of it is it's essentially like a, a cross between an IPA and a, a lager. So it's sort of more towards a brewed IPA than an IPL when you're looking at sort of those, that, that sort of style. So the, the deal is that you want to kind of be that lager, very clean malt flavour. Um, it's no, uh, you know, I mean, it's, most of my beers are quite malt forward. So when I don't have malts to play with uh it's very much a hop driven beer so that's that's the sort of challenge um and yeah, just just for mugs just mugs mugs is uh keeps popping up with different things there yeah. um it's it's definitely uh something that uh effectively a brewery in the states came up with to dispel uh the sort of polarization of ipls Mm. Um, so it's called a cold IPA so that people don't think it's an IPL. Um, that's, that's the simple marketing part of it. Um, IPLs have a bit of a stigma because of, uh, an aftertaste that, that comes along with the yeast. So yeah. that, that's why. You see, yeah. I love um, IPLs, but that might just be the fact that, you know, I'm so thing though, IPL is kind of a catch-all term. So, um, you know, on researching the, the cold IPA and people doing it, there's probably a few IPLs that could that would now be called cold, cold IPA. Um, there were people that were brewing them with ale yeast and lager yeast and all sorts of different stuff. So it's really that you don't get that ale yeast aftertaste from it. So if you get an IPL that doesn't have that, it's probably more the cold IPA. It just wasn't called that. I, re I reckon that's a great answer, and, Mo and thank you for responding to Mug's question without us having to put him on the microphone. That's a good result for everyone, I think, and now he's greatly offended. Speaking of putting people on microphone, I I've been saying just then, but I think it's Jared. You've got the uh, the first question when we open up the Zoom room, so please unmute yourself and, and, and ask your question. We've got some great questions from people who are joining us in the room tonight. Thank you. Uh, Sean loved the beers. Great uh, to be drinking the Killer Sprocket beers. Uh, one of the, uh, and uh, I was first uh, introduced to Killer Sprocket many, many years ago, back when you had some beers at the Crimean. Oh, mate, one I of the beers the that I've loved uh, that you've made for uh, quite some time, and I didn't see in this selection, was do you still make the coffee IPA? The, <laughs> it might have been the shiny. Yeah. Um, um, do you want to tell a bit of the story of that one? Because that one's quite an amusing story, I think. Uh, maybe uh, everyone might appreciate it. I certainly appreciated it. The um, yeah, so 
the coffee IPA, it came uh, quite an early, um, yeah, it was a, an early brew day, packaging day, and we were packaging a, packaging IPA, I believe it was actually Rye IPA, and um, and I was on the packaging line and I had my coffee in the morning, I was drinking the coffee and the guys were, you know, bottling up the, the Rye IPA, and I went to taste the Rye IPA up the line to make sure that it was, that it carbonated correctly and everything, and I just, it was too early in the morning and I just took the wrong hand and ended up swigging my coffee instead of the uh, the Rye IPA. And I went, oh, and then corrected myself and drank the IPA. I went, oh, these two things go together okay. <laughs> so I kind of was mixing the Rye and the, <laughs> the Rye IPA in my coffee. And then um, I, we lived actually opposite the Crimean. We used to live just on, um, on Peel Street. And there's a really nice coffee uh, roaster on a few um, very nice coffee roasters there. Yeah, it's on Queensbury Street, the Queensbury Poorhouse, um, where they roast the coffee out the back. And got talking to the guy and was saying, you know, um, you know, Ben, uh, the the owner and coffee roaster there, we're having a chat to him, and I said, look, I'd love to do a coffee beer. I said, look, I, you know, it'd be good to do an IPA that tastes like a black IPA but looks like a standard IPA. So essentially what I did is I brewed two IPAs. I brewed a black IPA and like a pilot batch of black IPA and a white one and just a standard IPA. And I gave it to him and I said, all the stuff I've removed from this one, I need you to put back with coffee. So he, um, he essentially sourced these beans um, and was able to roast them in a way that it gave, didn't have any of the, that, those tannins, but came through with the chocolate and the caramels and, and all the stuff that you'd ordinarily get out of a black IPA, but it looked like a standard IPA. And the actual beans were from a, um, a Colombian farm where they rehabilitate ex-militia soldiers. So these people fought in the militia and then come back and are trying to get gainful employment. So this farm essentially teaches them to farm coffee and to, to be farmers and all this sort of stuff. And they produce a small amount of coffee. So he was looking for something to do with it because he loved the story and loved supporting them. Um, but he can't do sort of big commercial batches of his coffee because he just can't get enough of it. So, um, so yeah, so he essentially got this coffee, roasted it specifically for the beer. And then, um, and then when we made the beer, actually sent cases of the beer to Colombia to the farm so that the people that actually That's... grew the beans were able to actually taste this coffee IPA that, you know, that was really showing their, their beers, their, their, uh, their coffee and the beer. But yes, we, we do love that one. Um, and we will, we're looking to do it again. Um, just, yeah, trying to find sort of a time to do it. But it, it's one of those beers, there's people that love it, really, really love it. But we need to kind of expand that enough that we can sort of sell the whole the whole batch. I think coffee IPAs can get a little bit of a bad rap on certain things depending on how you do it. I think the way we do it is kind of different. It's not just an IPA that you've dumped coffee into. Um, it's really like we work very hard with the the roaster to make that the the coffee to fit it. The other thing is that it um it's actually a bit of a it's a stimulant and a depressant. So we've got to kind of warn people not to drink too much of it. Uh, we do a growler fill off. A friend of mine got a two liter growler of it and drank it all in one night. And then uh, <laughs> it was slept again. <laughs> yeah. 
didn't sleep and uh, it was like, I feel a bit weird. I'm like, we well, should have drove the whole thing. <laughs> um, that's a fantastic story. Jared, great that you asked it. And I just can't wait for Barnaby Joyce to get, you know, the audio of that because that must be the living embodiment of what he fears is, you know, inner city types who don't just drink craft beer, but also, you know, add special coffees to their craft yeah. beer. And just hoping we'll never let him out of Armadale. <laughs> just, just quietly too, we'll be uh, back in Bobby Peels soon. We're uh, two kegs away. Oh, radio. Well, for those who are very much inner city people in oh, offices I did, that I used to I did work see very some near. some Sprocket beers at the Clyde only a few months ago, back in a uh, brief window of sunlight when uh, you yes. can go outside and go to a pub and have a beer on tap. It's starting to sound like pubs David has drunk in before, although I will admit that doesn't exclude too many. Um, I'm going to move things along. Um, Michael, you had a ripper question for us. I'm going to get you to ask question number two, if you can unmute and be ready to rock and roll. G'day, Sean. G'day, Doug. Uh, thanks for the chat tonight. It was lovely to see Doug's kids give him a hug before they went to bed. It was, <laughs> that was pretty sweet. Um, hey, you mentioned you mentioned the peat-smoked kilns that they use for whiskey are inconsistent through the year. Yeah. Which is why I now do it differently, if I have that right. So I was just interested in why that is. Like, what, what is it? What is it about um, the seasons that make that be the case? I think it's just the. I think it's just we're in Australia and the the supply. I think when when you've got um, the sort of the wholesalers that are importing that malt, it's not a malt that's used widely. So I would think they would get a pallet of it and then they'd be drawing down on that throughout the uh, the year. And the longer the malt sits, the less uh, the less peat flavor you get. Um, actually really funny we um, at the brewery today uh, we we're putting a new batch down and um, we found we, we've got some old stock back we found a uh, an old carton of, uh, of bandit that I think might be five years old and we cracked the bottle and there's no smoke in it whatsoever so if the beer sits long enough the smoke will even drop out of the beer just sitting on on shelf so the malt itself loses that that peat reek um so that's why we try to get it as fresh as possible so the malt uh the malters in new zealand they do a small batch of it and it's always quite consistent um that that's why it's really just a freshness right like it's just sort of you essentially want the freshness fresh yeah, yeah it's like anything that's smoked it's sort of that um that smoke reek will dissipate over time the longer you leave it. And if you left it in a warehouse, if you think about a lot of warehouses, that's they're probably going to put their slower moving stock right up high. So it's going to be affected by heat and that's going to expand and contract and you're going to get a lot more blow off probably up there. So I, I suspect that's what it is. I just know that it would be very inconsistent depending on when mm -hmm. I ordered it. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Michael. We're going to move on to my good friend Graham with question number three. Gray, if you want to unmute yourself, and then we've got one question left, and we'll go from there. Uh, thanks, David, and thank you to Sean and Doug for a very informative and um, great you know, discussion. Uh, can I just, though, I'm interested in, uh, Sean, are you thinking of an inner city Melbourne tap room, or do we just have to... Um, take the train trip to Bayswater Station 
on a Saturday for the 1 p.m. 1 p.m. opening. And I suppose the supplementary <laughs> question is, is there a courtesy bus? <laughs> um, it's not that far of a walk from uh, from the station to the brewery. And there's like I think God, I think you're going to say it's not far of a walk from Kensington, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of pie shops on the way, which is nice. Um, the... Uh, Look, I think it's it's something we've talked about is actually opening satellite tap rooms. Um, I'm definitely not ruling it out. I would like to probably partner with someone that knows the hospitality game um, and could do it. Um, but yeah, that that's something. An inner city tap room definitely would be something that we'd be looking at um, down the track. But um, yeah, for, for the moment, I think there's starting to be, we, I was talking to a few of the other breweries sort of out our way of maybe talking to some of the brewery tours and getting like a south, an eastern sort of leg of their of their brewery tours. There's quite a few out our way, um, which, yeah, would give you that courtesy bus. Um, but otherwise, yeah, look, we're, we're sort of the, um, it, it's, we're pretty open uh, at our brewery. So, I know we're open to the public one till six on a on a Saturday, and Doug will be there this Saturday, so you can uh, <laughs> probably drinking all the uh, the cold IPA out of the tank, and yep. then um, and then on Fridays uh, three till six, but this Friday will be open from twelve. But most people like if you just want to drop by and you you know you're in the area and you want to sort of come and check us out, you can always jump on sort of Facebook, send us a message um and or instagram or something and be like hey i'm going to be in your area do you mind if i come by and and say hello um we're you know, we're pretty happy with that thank you Ripper, i'm gonna throw to mugs for the last question in a moment but i think jenna has asked a very relevant question in the chat uh again please make sure you're in zoom with us from time to time you get to ask those questions um what is the best pie shop in Bayswater on the way. <laughs> and uh, I presume this is just how you lose all sorts of friends in pie shops by nominating only one. Well, they they keep changing. There was one that was really good and then it got sold to someone else and then it closed down. <laughs> um, the There's Casper's. The store was good. Yeah, the Casper's. Yeah. Yeah, Casper's pies are pretty damn good. Um, my uh, Eventually it'll be actually us because... Trying to get my uh, my dad works at a um, well, my dad owns a catering company in in Windvale, and um, has been making beef and ale pies with my beers for ages. So I'm trying to convince him to sort of give us. Oh, there's our scoop. Pies. We always we always get the scoop. Love a scoop. Thirty seconds before the end of the podcast. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have our own pies made with our beer. Yeah, um, do you want to trash pie yeah. thief at the moment? You can feel free to do a bit of trash talk wrestling style. Yeah, do it. Do it. <laughs> No, no, no. Pie thief's great. Very um, wise. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Look, there's, there's, there's actually like Casper's Pies, the factory that makes all the pies for Casper's Pies, is next door to us. Um, but they're not open very often. Um, then, yeah, just down the road, I can't remember the name of the the shop, but they've uh, they've got some damn good pies, and apparently they won an award for a vanilla slice. Which every bakery in Australia has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon everyone has won that prize. Yeah. There's no one. <laughs> when we were running the burger store, we were going to pretend that we'd won best vanilla slice in Australia. Or <laughs> even, even oh though we God, didn't serve one. Awesome. 
And Dan was just put pl- it up on the window and then tell people, no, we've never, we don't make them. And there who's was a, eating all these snot blocks, really? There was a bakery oh. in Shepparton where I grew up that used to advertise in their window that they'd won best vanilla slice for about 10 years running. Yeah. Uh, but they literally just got like the, the, highly manufactured vanilla slice in from whatever company were making them and no one batted an eyelid. They were okay with that. Like it didn't matter. I, I noticed that Michael has posted in the chat that it's just like the Tidy Town 1994 award. The only, <laughs> only reason I'm going to pick nits with that one, my friend, is that I don't think they were handing them out then, were they? It sounds more like 1986. You just backdate no, no, it no, and like, no one cares. Muggers, I think you've Clifton got a question. Won it in 94. Over to Muggs. Unmute yourself. Let's uh, hear your question, my friend. Um, I've got a pretty obvious question, uh, especially for Sean. Where where did the um the name come from, Killer Sprocket? Because like I'm in heavy industry and there's Killer Sprockets fucking everywhere. So yeah. <laughs> um, where did it actually come from? So it's just a name that popped into my head. Uh, a while ago so I used to work as I said I worked at an insurance company and there was I was there during the time that um, they started putting ASIC started putting in a lot of regulations in one of the things was that they had anything that handled customer data any database had to be registered with ASIC and APRA and the operations director at the time um, said to me oh I need to get a schematic of all of our databases and send them off because it's so embarrassing things are called stupid names like manage 2000 kind of dates how long ago I worked at this place. Managed 2000, ILSA, Ethel, um, the uh, conservation team's database was called SMTM for show me the money. Um, and they, they were in collections. So um, that was uh, that was a funny one. So we had to decide so to, to do all this stuff because it's just embarrassing. I remember that night walking home going, oh, I'd like to come up with a stupid database name that they have to register with ASIC and APRA. So just for some reason, the killer sprocket just popped into my head. So the next day I got into work and I created this database called the killer sprocket. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I just had it sort of sitting there. I mean, one of the sales managers came and said, oh, can you give me a sales report that tells me these things? I said, yeah, yeah fine. Send him a report. Because oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want. He goes, and I said, oh, do you want to be able to run this every day? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll put it in the killer sprocket. He goes, what the hell is a killer sprocket? I'm like, oh, it's a new reporting database I made. So I put this thing that had the button and he was able to click it every day and tell him all these things. And then uh, next, you know, next day he comes and goes, can the killer sprocket tell me this? I'm like, it can. So I put a second button in there for him. And then kind of added buttons as he was going. And then um, like a week later, one of the other managers came up and said, can I get access to the killer sprocket? I'm like, you can. So I put it on his computer and then... um, and then within like a month, the operations director comes up and says, I need a schematic of the killer sprocket. Apparently it's a new database. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know it well. So <laughs> did this thing and it got registered with Ask and APRA. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, what a fun joke that was. But I had, I'd built it as a joke. So I hadn't actually planned it or actually designed it properly. I just had randomly chucked buttons into an access database that was then locking SQL tables all over the shop. So then my job became to try to wean people off this reporting database, which they loved because they would just go, I want this report. And then it would be there by, you know, the afternoon. Whereas if they actually went through proper IT protocols, they had to say why they wanted it, what it was going to do. They had to test if it was going to mess up anything. 
I just would put it in. I didn't give a fuck. It was a joke, right? So it became this thing of like, it got to the point where it was so big that when you ran the reports, it would start locking up tables and slowing down the database, all this sort of stuff. So then my job became to kill the killer sprocket and I had to like <laughs> sit in meetings. So my entire job for about a year was to sit in meetings with IT people and go through this joke database I created that no one would let go off their system. And they'd hide it places, they had it polling for five minutes, then someone figured out how to like connect it back to production databases and all this sort of stuff just to get rid of this thing. So it became a, a great joke that like cost the company millions. And then um <laughs> this is like we, totally my jam. This is yeah. Like, did you know story. this was the answer? And then this, when I, left, I didn't know this is the answer at yeah. all. I had no then, idea. There's, and when I left, I was, I was thinking of a name for the brewery and everything I tried was taken. So I just typed in, I remembered this stupid database I made. So I just typed in, you know, kill a sprocket because I'd just seen that uh, the social network thing and they had the Facebook. Then they said, call it just Facebook. So I'm like, I'll just call it kill a sprocket. So I typed that in and no one had it. So then I like trademarked it, got everything. And there was no one else in the world that had it. Oh, until someone in Australia decided to put out a fucking IPA with my name, but that's another story. And um, and then they uh, and then and then yeah, so that that was that was where it came from. That is amazing. There's so there's there's literally people <laughs> clapping in the Zoom room right now. That is the best story ever. Yeah. Um, we so ask that question. We're gonna wrap, start to wrap things up here. There's people that were wondering if Muggers had actually heard that story before because it would be totally his avenue to do that. No, um, no I really hadn't. I, I thought it was about because, like, I work in a sawmill, but I work in basically databases that run the systems behind it. So yeah. I'm the guy making killer sprocket databases in the background, yeah, but still work around actual sprockets that can kill people. Yeah, it's I, so I, good. I started in I started in sales. So for me, my whole job was like you do it and then you ask, then you ask permission or you say sorry later. So when someone's like, oh, I need this report, I'm like, yeah, sure you do. That's a really good idea. I'll just do it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, guys, we're gonna wrap things up. Uh Sean, Doug, thank you for, for joining us tonight. Before we finish things up, um, can you throw out your social media so everyone uh can find you? on the platforms like the Facebook. Go for a marketing yeah, manager. Yeah, we're, we're at Killer Sprocket. Uh, you can find us at Killer Sprocket because there's only one Killer Sprocket. That's it. Very, very good. Um, for everyone in the Zoom room tonight, thank you very much for joining us. It's, it's awesome that uh, we see so many of your lovely faces you know that uh, when you come into the Zoom room, you obviously get to ask the questions and stuff. You get to hang around after the, the recording and sit down and have a chat with everyone and a few more drinks. So uh, we will all enjoy that. Uh, keep in mind, if you want the tasting packs for the rest of August, as well as what we've got coming up in September, uh, you need to check out our social medias at Cool Room Podcast. You'll be able to find all the details to that as well as the Shopify store. We have three blind tastings coming up over the next couple of weeks, starting on this Sunday at the 15th of August uh, and then consecutive Sundays after that. Next Thursday night, we have Golden Hills coming back on, which uh, those guys came back on, or well, they, were, they were first on 
uh, during our lockdown last year, and they were an absolute standout for what we did in 2020. Uh, so it's going to be really cool to, to see what, what's happened with those guys over the last 12 months. Um, I've been informed that next week for the Zoom room people that uh, it's fancy dress. Not sure what that means exactly, but uh, <laughs> watch this space. There's going to be something on the social medias about that. Everyone's throwing up their arms. We are going to make this happen. Um, before we get to Golden Hills next Thursday night, we are going to have Carwin Sellers on uh, for what is their furious five Fantabulous. <laughs> or Fantabulous five pack. I really hope that after they do the Furious five, they just keep going down with the amount of beers they release, but up the price and have a fantastic four pack. Uh, you haven't seen the price of the one that they're doing next week, have you? I have not. I, I have not. <laughs> oh. I'm sure we'll find out. That I'm is going to be. Uh, opted out. That is going to be uh, next Wednesday, the 18th in the Zoom room. It's going to be an awesome chat because we've got a few surprise guests. Uh, make sure you check out the socials for the cool room as well as the socials for killer sprockets. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks for joining us guys. Cheers.